Hello and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. And I'm joined today by Professor Dame Anne-Marie Rafferty, who is a Professor of Nursing Policy at the Florence Nightingale Faculty of Nursing and Midwifery at King's College London and also the President of the Royal College of Nursing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Laura. It's great to be here. So I'm going to take you right back to the beginning. Did you always know that you were interested in nursing? Was it a career that you were drawn, drawn to from quite a young age? Well, I, don't, I couldn't put it as strongly as that, but certainly my mum was a nurse and uh, she used to inspire me with her stories of nursing during World War II. That just shows you how young I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and nursing, particularly prisoners of war in military hospitals. But she did fevers as well as general and midwifery. So that was seven years training, longer than a medical student. Wow. And it was obviously a very arduous uh, experience during the war. And I was very taken with her in- her interest and expertise as well in-, in fever nursing. I think because, you know, I mean, there's some parallels with the present because that those were the days. I mean, talking about the late 1930s, you know, when sulfonamides had only recently been introduced. And of course, they weren't necessarily prevalent across all hospitals in in the UK they were quite a novel innovation and he had very little to really combat infection with so patients as now really relied on nursing and really top top quality nursing care for their recovery and uh, I think you know that's that's quite an important parallel to to draw today but I mean, I particularly one, with COVID as well, the links between the nursing care and the research that's come out, particularly looking at awake proning, early proning, you know, the different use of oxygen therapy. I think we've really seen through this pandemic the impact that that nursing care and nurses from different training can have on specific uh, patient outcomes. Exactly. That's a great moment for showcasing nursing at, it, at its best. Um, I mean, I think there's one little snippet from my childhood, which might be relevant to the nursing, um, I guess, interest as well is it's it's quite interesting when you know at school or whatever, if someone had fallen or scraped their knee or banged their head or something, you know, in the playground, for some reason everyone used to come for me and say, "Go and get Anne Marie, her mum's a nurse," as if you know the knowledge would be transmitted through the DNA. And uh, I guess I quite enjoyed probably a little bit of performance and drama, you know, being the centre of attention. I would pronounce on whatever had to happen. <laughs> and um, other people would immediately follow. So it was it was quite interesting uh, being called upon in that way. And then when my mum was went back to work, she, you know, worked part-time when we were growing up. And she used to occasionally take me into hospital and show me, you know, patients and how well they were being cared for and talked to me a little bit I mean that was probably wow. not strictly speaking um the the uh, permitted but anyway I, a bit I, of work I, experience that counts that was, um, I wish you think I can apel that now <laughs> I'm sure someone somewhere's tried yeah get some top up so yeah I think the seeds were actually generated and I'd certainly remember reading her textbooks you know when I was a kid which had all these gory photographs in them of people with ghastly pathologies and of course they they used to terrify me and give me nightmares and um, but they were ghoulishly fascinating as well 
Um, but, you know, I can't honestly say it was something that was very strongly embedded in my mind um, when I was going through school or whatever, but I got a job as, uh, you know, during the holidays as an auxiliary in uh, our local hospital. And, and that did also seem to cement my kind of motivation. So I ended up going into nursing and I've uh, never looked back since. Um, and can you just tell us a little bit about the current roles that you have? So you work um, at the Florence Nightingale School of Nursing and midwifery at King's and also the president of the RCN. So can you just outline those roles for us? Well, yeah, I mean, they're two pretty hefty roles, actually. So being interested in nursing policy, I've kind of studied it academically, if you like, and taught it to students. And, uh, you know, not just undergraduates and postgraduates, but, um, you know, PhD students as well, very interested in the policy process. And, um, you know, I also trained as a historian and had the great opportunity to go and do uh, my doctorate in modern history at Oxford, which was an amazing experience, actually, and really fulfilled my, my thirst for intellectual fulfillment I think it was it was a, a real it was a it was a very enlightening experience and very stimulating to be part of a, a community of scholars uh, in the history of medicine and uh, I, I I just I, I I loved that that sense and it was a very privileged time actually to be able to to study in that type of environment but I studied policy uh, the history of policy education policy and I think I always approach policy partly from a historical kind of perspective, not surprisingly. And I found history quite a useful tool in understanding uh, not just policy, but also the, the subsequent work I've done in health services research, you know, mainly in kind of staffing, but, you know, in other cognate kind of areas. So, I mean, as you can tell, it's it's a sort of multi-stranded, multi-various role in the sense that, you know, we do teaching, I do research, I have PhD students supervised master students as well and uh, you know guest teach on undergraduate courses I actually really really enjoy teaching and of course then you know I used to I used to sort of uh, jokingly refer to my role as being professor of uh, interference because I think if you're involved in policy you know that is your job to proactively try to influence and interfere in other people's plans if you think they're not quite conducive to advancing the profession so I've done quite a lot of work, both in analysing research policy and in, you know, health policy and where nursing sits within that, both at the national English, if you like, UK, as well as European and international kinds of levels. So I consider myself very fortunate to have done that. And, and I hope to, you know, I can try to transmit that enthusiasm and that passion to students in, 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 in teaching, but you get involved in all sorts, embroiled in all sorts of projects when you're also part of a university. Uh, and at the moment, I'm helping to co-lead uh, an initiative on the future of the healthcare workforce. So that's quite exciting as, as, as well, yeah. Very interesting. Um, and prior to actually working at King's, you came over with the Dean initially of the faculty and you were the Dean while I was there and you did the induction talk for my um, kind of, in. Uh, like day that I looked around and had my interview and you said at King's we're developing the nursing leaders of the future and my mum was like you've definitely got to go there <laughs> so you've inspired someone else yeah <laughs> yeah all that time ago that's okay um you also worked um at the London School of Tropical Disease Medicine how different was your role there 
to working as the Dean of Faculty at King's? Well, I have to say the jump to Dean was quite a, quite a big jump because I was um, really the director of a small, I call it a think and can do tank in research policy. We were trying to build capacity and policies to undergird that, to expand uh, the strength of nursing research, which you know has always been seen as a bit of a Cinderella, poor cousin of health services and, and medical research. And we actually eventually managed to uh, succeed in, in doing that by doing a, a, a report for Higher Education Funding Council on providing the evidence base and policy justification for investing in nursing uh, within what was then the research assessment exercise, which is now called the Research Excellence Framework. Um, for those of you, your audience who are academics, you know, our lives are ruled by uh, by the TEF, the Teaching Excellence Framework, and the REF, the Research Excellence Framework. These are the big performance indicators that then drive investment in universities and actually our careers, because um, as, as academics, you know, there's a lot of pressure on basically, you know, turning around money and, uh, you know, getting research funding and, and, and doing, doing research and publishing papers in high prestige journals. So um, nursing was seen at that point as falling behind in, in its esteem and its, its profile compared to other disciplines. And so we were able to give it a bit of a boost. And in fact, that did translate into positivity in the research assessment exercise, which followed because I was on that panel and uh, there was no correlation between the two things. But uh, in fact, you know, I think it just demonstrates the fact is if you invest, you will get the results, you know, and that's an argument I think that we can use in staffing patient outcomes um, and a whole series of different uh, policy interventions and domains in nursing itself. But I also was head of the Health Services Research Unit at the London School. It was an amazing environment. I've been very lucky in my career, I think, to work in, with some incredible colleagues and, you know, really supportive environments. And I love the fact that it was all multidisciplinary. I think I was the first senior nurse appointment to the London School of Hygiene. And, uh, you know, you're mixing with just, well, as you can see from COVID, you know, the number of experts, epidemiologists and commentators from the London School of Hygiene is, is just astonishing, isn't it? They have yes. that wealth of the talent there. And so to be mixing with those people um, and actually, you know, some of their kind of ways of thinking, you know, I think you absorb by osmosis quite a lot of um, practices and, um, and and ways of ways of doing and, and kind of behaving. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was my first introduction really to health services research and doing research and collaborating with colleagues from there as well as, in, in, you know, international partners. So it was about trying to embed, you know, nursing and see what nurses nurses could actually do and deliver. So it was a great it was a great time. I, I loved it actually. Yeah. Um, and you've also done just a few uh, secondments. So you worked with the Department of Health for the Lord Darcy and with also with uh, Professor Christine Beasley for the next stage review, and then also the Prime Minister's Commission on the Future of Nursing and Midwifery. How did you find going to a secondment? Well, do you know what? It was a wee bit scary to begin with, Laura, because I didn't really know what to expect. Of course, this was a great shake-up of the National Health Service, you know, and people were either excited or yawning, saying, oh my goodness, not another restructure. Um, but it was very much putting quality at the forefront of care. 
and therefore this, there was a big role for nursing. And I don't actually know how the idea came about. I wasn't privy to that, but somehow I got this kind of invitation to go and you know work as part of the chief nurses team feeding into um, the Lord Darcy's uh, team, who was Minister of Health at that time. Um, and he was a professor at Imperial. I mean, just such a an, a huge figure in 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 contemporary uh, medicine and health policy. And you know, extraordinarily, I think, generous um, person as well and leader in terms of you know bringing in bringing in people into the tent, the talent tent of of getting engaged in policy. And I think he he really. What he was interested in uh, was how can we turn the handle of nursing, you know, this huge kind of handle and, and crank it towards delivering higher quality of care. How can we measure that quality? What kinds of metrics and, and what might the narrative around it um, actually be? So uh, we commissioned two pieces of work from colleagues at the then National Nursing Research Unit to actually help us frame and formulate the input into the ultimate the ultimate report, the next stage review of the of the NHS. But it was it was an amazing, and that was Peter Griffiths and Jill Maybe, my colleagues who led those pieces of, of work and 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 co-authored them. And I think the it felt like being part of a, a giant seminar, a series of seminars. So as an academic, I just felt I've I've landed on my feet. It was a bit, I mean, it would probably be an exaggeration to say it was a bit like being back at Oxford, you know. I was going to say, was it just like being back? <laughs> yeah, that, that intellectual kind of stimulus, the sort of free flowing of ideas. You know, Department of Health probably gets a bit of a bad rep in terms of, you know, it's probably not associated with a kind of explosive ferment of intellectual vigour um, and ideas. But, I mean, that was also partly the glare and then what became the Brown government, you know, there was this explosion of, of, of ideas within Whitehall, within number 10, uh, natural experiments in policymaking going on like fireworks going off in all directions. And it was, it was incredibly exciting, you know, to be working with uh, really top civil servants, all these bright people. There were, there were consultants involved as, as, as well who were helping to sort of steer the process so many ideas that that were that we were exploring then i think have you know formed a kind of little neural network i think in my own brain and i've found you know opportunities to sort of feed them through i mean i think that's that's something that history teaches you that you know there are these sort of cycles of ideas and if if at one point you don't quite succeed you know you can recycle uh, if the, the ideas are good enough, you know, they will they will find an environment that they can actually take and take root and actually flourish. So that 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 um, the kind of substrate of those those ideas and interventions and just understanding how a huge reform pro program of that kind works. I mean, it was it was just a massive kind of privilege to to, to be there and working as well with, you know, Chris Beasley and her team, Janice Sixworth, you know, we became really good friends as well. And, and, and the nursing kind of team and seeing how nursing advice interdigitated with the rest of this, you know, this huge phalanx of expertise 
of other ministers as well, because it was Ed Johnson who was the Secretary of State for Health. How and, and Anne Keane was there as a junior minister. You know how it all sort of fitted together, and some of the you know little kinds of tensions that developed as well. It was it was you know being a policy watcher, like an anthropologist, if you like an ethnographer of policy, but also part of it that. I have to say, you know, being able to step back, I was, you know, was responsible for helping to deliver on the nursing, the nursing side, but you know, ultimately I didn't have full responsibility. So it was, it was, it was, it was great, really. It was amazing to have that fireside, you know, that that cockpit view of policy in the making. I think sometimes nurses can be quite maybe put off by secondments or it being out of their comfort zone or something that maybe they're not confident with doing or going into yeah I mean I think there were times when I thought oh my goodness I'm really out of my depth here or you know having a scooby or whatever but there's usually someone around who can help and you can discuss things with and I thought what was interesting as well to see again you know who the big players are who's sort of wielding the power I mean that's what's obviously most kind of fascinating in Westminster Village terms and the interaction with number 10 who also thought it had a big role in policy and how things were being kind of, you know, rebuffed or uh, deflected and, and where, where the sort of hub, the hub of power was, was, was moving from and to. It was, it was, a, it was, it was, a, it was absolutely incredible. And I think that point about comfort zone is, yeah, so that, that point about, so how the doctors, you see, were operating compared to the nurses, I thought. So what's, what's the narrative? What's the debate and discussion going on within medicine here within within the department how is that narrative comparable or otherwise with with ours so you were able to see how these different narratives were being you know promulgated or um advocated for and and what this you know obviously what the investment kinds of plans actually were at the end of the day but we did manage to get quite a lot into the final into the final review because that's another thing about policy you advocate 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 you get in and then something comes along and it gets squeezed out. So you have to go back again. You know, it's the constant vigilance and persistence. That's what has to pay off in the end. But being in the position where you can watch all that, keep an eye on all the key players, make sure mm, they are delivering on what they said they would deliver and holding them to account. It must have been good to, to do the comparison to what you knew from your kind of day job, you being there and then seeing... Yeah. it being published and then the discussion in the media as well. That must have been an interesting yes. comparison I, to make. I think there's Mark Twain has this, has this uh, saying, which is basically, you know, policies like um, sausages, you know, you don't basically want to see either being made. <laughs> <laughs> We'd rather just have the end product. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. We briefly mentioned about your research and looking at patient outcomes and staffing uh, that you did with Elizabeth West and other colleagues before. Was that an area that you were always passionate in prior to undertaking that research? I think that was actually. I think that was one of those things that when I look back, I can see, you know, we had to do in our final year as students, write these long kind of assignment essays. And, and I wrote one on pressure at work, you know, how nurses responded to and perceived pressure and in relation to staffing. And uh, it was more of a kind of, you know, quite a narrative approach, actually. Um, but that's, I think that it was so dominant, wasn't it? Even, even when I was training in the 70s, how many people are, are on and how people reacted and people being stressed out. 
people being calm, the quality of leadership, the type of culture. I think it's students, because I did a university degree at Edinburgh, uh, nursing studies. Um, I think you're very sensitized to even small kind of nuances and shifts in uh, nuance and, and culture within ward environments. You're always hoping and praying you'll get a placement where people are basically going to be receptive and kind to you, aren't you? And you're, you're very alert to the signals of whether those those genes are switched on or whether they're switched off and I think as I was a student you get to learn I think quite quickly don't you yeah which area is going to be somewhere that's going to foster and develop what are the standards that they expect and also what do they expect but also what how are they going to help you get to that standard yeah exactly and then you're, you're you're kind of assimilating good practice sometimes not so good practice and um you know thinking right that's what you know I really helps me flourish that's what I want to perpetuate and you know uh, giving a big a big uh, body swerve to practice that that's not not um consistent with with that as well or finding ways to well sometimes just you know survive yeah get through (laughs) environments because they're hugely variable as we know so yeah I think I think the workforce thing was deeply embedded in me and during that that essay, I remember that long assignment, writing about all these tools and ways of measuring the Aberdeen formula, ways of um, assessing acuity and and patient care. And, you know, I think we're still doing that now. You know, I can see the sort of historical resonances with uh, all there's, you know, there were tools developed in Oxford and, uh, and 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 elsewhere and that's a quest that we're still we're still really grappling with I think particularly now with the, the staffing ratios having to be changed so much because of COVID and the clinical kind of stresses that have been on the NHS and private care for the last year I think yeah. even more so that research is even more relevant now isn't it and, and key that I think a lot of nurses might be quite worried that post-pandemic healthcare that those of lower staffing ratios are going to be in place for whatever reason yeah absolutely and you know we've really got to fight that tooth and nail um i think the role of professional judgment during the pandemic because you know we don't have clear rules of thumb everywhere do we um and some of our our tools are quite blunt instruments uh think professional judgment and the management of risk which is really what a lot of nursing is about and has been about, I mean, par excellence and becoming exquisitely uh, expert in, in how to manage risk and all the trade-offs, of course, that nurses have to make, you know, in terms of optimising quality of care under conditions of extreme and extraordinary difficulty. I think that's where, you know, opening up the, the kind of... <laughs> CT scanning nurses' brains and finding out what's happening in terms of those those kinds of de- decision-making and cognitive skills that nurses are actually deploying in their leadership. It's, I think it's really underestimated how sophisticated those operations are. And I think we've really got the opportunity to um, open the black box on, on, on that. And we, we're actually doing a project on professional judgment in, in staffing decisions and moving that forward been an interesting kind of debate really around what COVID can tell you about those sorts of factors that that you don't get during let's put it you know business as more more 
usual or or normal in normal in a state of normalcy, whatever that might be. So I, I you know, we would argue, I think that COVID throws those factors into even starker relief, mm-hmm. uh, accentuates and and exemplifies them in in a more forceful manner. And we've you've talked about your doctor, you know, doing your doctorate at Oxford. Have you got any advice for any nurses wishing to study at that level? I just think go for it. You know, I mean, if you've got an abiding passion, I just think you should try and do everything in your power to follow your, you know, follow your. It sounds trite, but just follow your dreams. Um, I mean, I, I I never imagined for a minute I would end up in the the city of dreaming spires, um, but you know. That that was what seemed at one point a rather fanciful idea, but it was it actually came to fruition, and naturally I was I was I was I was thrilled. So I think you, should, you do need to really follow your dreams and and really find out what what fires your passion. Because if you're doing a doctorate, let's face it, you know you're going to have to stick at it for quite a long time, and you're going to have bumps along the road. Everyone has their setbacks you know their high points and their setbacks and you could sort of plot those you know at different time points so you need a lot of stickability and to be doing something that you're really intellectually as well as emotionally invested in so and and you know go to the best best places whoever you think okay so and so the leader in this I want to work I want to work with that person because they are you know the expert go for it just you know follow your dreams and that does sound rather cliched, but I think there's an element of, of truth in it. I think as well, I think a lot of nursing education is quite, it's quite geared toward a certain path, isn't it? You work in intensive care, you do the critical care course, you then want to become a prescriber, you do the nurse prescribing course. It can be quite linear, can't it? And quite specific. There's not that broad further development of higher education necessarily. No, I think you've got to cleave your own path. I mean, like, if you know, just to take that example, I I thought, gosh, what am I going to do? Why am I doing this? This is mad. Because I'd done a, you know, a clinical master's before by thesis. And although, you know, I'd enjoyed that, that was a, that was a randomised controlled trial. It was a sophisticated study, actually won a, an award, the Nursing Times DM Award. It was, it was, and had lots of stats. I kind of knew that wasn't really me. I mean, I managed and did it, you know, just like you can you can do things that are not really playing to your strengths. But um, ultimately, that's because I wanted to do research and that opportunity came up. So I pursued it. But I, I doing something like a doctorate in history, I thought, gosh, I'm working my way out of the job market now. I should be, <laughs> I probably won't end up being employable, you know, at the end of this. But then luckily, that was when nursing education was really beginning to expand. I was fortunate to be to be recruited to Nottingham, where I'd been before um, at Queen's Medical Centre, and uh, to the university where they were setting up a new school of nursing. So they were needing lecturers. So I recycled back to Nottingham. So that was that fortuitous that 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 happened. Um, but you know, we so need. I think this. We think about pathways and, you know, you're doing lecturing now, Laura, great stuff. And education and research and, and working in universities, we we really need to pull on the talent of our, our youngsters, people like you, you know, coming through to offer clinical academic careers mm. or, you know, straight lecturing kinds of careers. I mean, I think that's where 
things get very exciting. And that's, you know, when I was at Nottingham, I was doing what would now be called a clinical academic post, you know, jointly working clinically and 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 studying at the same time. And it was quite a it was quite a tough gig. It was one of these pioneering kinds of posts. And you know, the danger with that is that you end up either the research can be squeezed out, you end up doing all practice and, and very little else. But I, you know, managed to sort of punch my way through that and um but to me that's what that's the that's the game changer for me in careers in 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 nursing and actually enabling people to be able to continue who've got degrees take their take their intellectual toolkit with them and pursue it through further study and then advance use that to translate into advancing our clinical skills and you know it's great it's great news that I think the with the direction of travel for the NMC is moving towards you know advanced practice and, and hopefully we'll we'll be seeing advanced practice being kind of formula formally uh regulated in, in the future and uh bringing us in line with, with with other Western economies. I think that's very, very important to stabilize the career structure. So yeah, clinical academic careers, here we go. Not this is an advert, but it is. <laughs> Um, it is. And have you got any advice for anyone in a, in, the, in a leadership position currently or anyone that wishes to move to a leadership position? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just in awe of everyone who's in those leadership positions. And that is actually everyone, isn't it? Because I believe in distributed leadership. So it's not just people who've got positional kind of authority, but it has to be said, you know, that those people are carrying a huge burden of responsibility because they are responsible for staff underneath them and I firmly believe we just don't have enough we just don't have enough leaders at the top of the profession I'm talking as a function one of our great weaknesses is a structural if you like engineering weakness in the in the workforce where if you look at the kind of pyramid it's very there's a very skinny channel of people who actually advancing up you know to, to eight nine positions and that's the group who are having to support all of the, the, the masses of people that sit underneath that. And that's just, you know, from a structural engineering point of view, that is like introducing a huge vulnerability. And, and I think that's that's definitely got, got to change, which is why I believe in advanced practice being so important, because that then enables people to, to move up, have a steady kind of stabilised status at that level. It would attract more people like yourself, people, you know, youngsters who are ambitious, as well as being able to apel all of the the, the welter and and I mean, phalanx of, of of nurses who've got the expertise, who can get academic credit and be essentially apelled into advanced practice, and that's a way also to advance salaries and 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 the pay of the profession. Of course, everyone wants a, a meaningful and substantial pay rise from as a what not least for what nurses have actually contributed and in some cases sacrificed uh, during during the, the pandemic, including the, the ultimate sacrifice and nurses losing their lives. I mean, that's that's a sort of incalculable kind of loss, but but also as, as a way of enabling people to progress. And, and, and that, that, that has got to be the way of the future that we encourage um, nurses to progress at pace Please. So I think there's been quite I've noticed kind of over my career when I first kind of qualified it was a you have to work here for this many years then you after that many years you could do a course and then 
it was quite a long drawn out view that you had to work be qualified for six years before you could go into intensive care but they weren't rules they were just people's opinions that aren't based on evidence yeah that aren't based on evidence and and I've had quite a few people when I said you know I was going to apply to be a lecturer or I'm lecturing at the moment most meetings I went into and and even now they'll go are you not one of the students you're very young to be here and I just think I know I look very young but I just think there's been quite a shift in the last few years anyway of of your right of that APEL of people doing courses of that career development significantly quicker than previously in the past might have been done yeah, work-based learning. I mean, I think our faculty certainly is, is big on that. And I think the more that we can kind of, you know, convert the knowledge and wisdom, the, the, the sort of metacognitive gold that's inside nurses' heads and through their experience into academic credit, the, the easier those transitions actually are. And people get, you know, they're, they're, they're recognised and acknowledged for, this, for the, the level and the status that they've already actually achieved. And it's, it's a win-win all round, isn't it? It's a win for, 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 for the employer. They have, you know, accredited, highly skilled and accomplished staff working uh, in, in their trust. And it's a win for the individuals themselves because they see that recognition as being accorded to them. And therefore, they can, you know, apply for you know, more highly remunerated posts that they, then they're they're progressing up the ladder. They're not stuck in some, you know, silo for for years. It's absolutely ridiculous. I'm very much in favour, as you can tell, of, of, you know, rapidly enabling people to progress, but putting the mechanisms in place to enable that to happen. And I think that's something which uh, I think we need to engineer more effectively. I don't think it's Mm. at the moment. And if you've got a great line manager, they might encourage you to say, apply for this, do that. You know, but if you're not working in that culture, then you could be left to languish. I mean, and it should not be a lottery, a postcode lottery in that in that way. Or let's call it a leadership lottery. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd agree. And I've been really lucky to have a manager who, what course are you going to do? What are you going to be next when you're applying for your band six? And he really drove, you know, he's the reason why. When I said, oh, there's a lecture job coming up, he was like, well, why wouldn't you apply? Of course yeah. you should apply. Let's look at the application. And he was so positive. It then gives you that confidence, doesn't it, to think, actually, yes, I could do this. I yeah. could apply. Exactly, exactly. And equally, I would say, you know, I've been very fortunate to have amazing mentors right from the get-go uh, as an undergraduate. You know, people like Alison Tierney, of course, there was the, 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 the greats who are no longer with us, like Al, Annie Altschul and Elizabeth Hockey you know, the, some of the founders of the academic enterprise at Edinburgh, which was the first you know, university department to offer higher education for nurses in Europe, not just the UK. So it's a kind of iconic place to be able to train. Luckily, it was just, you know, a few miles away from where I was brought up. <laughs> and also, you know, um, also at Nottingham, colleagues Jane Robinson and, you know, my supervisor for, for my thesis, Charles Webster, who's the uh, historian of the National Health Service, uh, Robert Dingwall wrote, you know, textbooks with, with him and, and and many, many others, you know, in the policy field, as already mentioned. Linda Aiken, when I went on a Hartness Fellowship, policy fellowship to the to the States, still working with Linda, you know, and that those amazing workforce studies, which she's she's just the most articulate advocate of nursing policy you'll ever see during our lifetimes. I mean, superb. Um, so I feel very fortunate to have been 
mentored and supported by people like that um, who've opened doors for for me. And um, you know, hopefully, I can open doors for a few others and pass the good fortune down the line. Brings me nicely on. Have you got any advice for any student nurses or newly qualified at the moment? Well, I, I you know, I, I just think you need to grab every opportunity you can get. I remember, I'm just going to sound like old mother time now. But I just remember when I was going for like my first post, I, I wanted to work. You know, you got job offer, you applied and you got job offers in a range of places. So there's about three offers after qualification um that 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 I had and but there was one that stood out because there was this amazing again what you know ward sister Elise Nielsen in in this in this this uh this surgical ward and I thought oh gosh if I could be part of Elise's team that would be awesome so basically I lobbied the nursing officer who was the gatekeeper to that role you know I just I just pestered her the, the living daylights out of her until she kind of relented and said, okay, you know, this was the philosophy. You were to be placed, you know, it's as if you didn't have any discretion or choice where you went. Said, we are going to place you in blah, you know, Ward Ward 13, Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh. And I was kind of jumping for joy. And um, obviously, I think Lisa must have had some saying it as well. And I'd been a student there and then done, you know, done a senior placement. So um, I was absolutely thrilled with that. I just think, you've got to go for it, whatever you want. Just don't hold back. Go for it. Don't be brave. If you get knocked back, you'll find find another way to kind of angle in on what you on what you want. But learn, you know, optimize your learning. I was just thinking about during COVID, you know, keeping a kind of record, a log, a diary, even a you know, a verbal, recorded diary um, of of your experiences because we are actually at such a kind of potent moment in our history, and and we, it may be forgotten, and you might want to. Mm tell that to your children or your grandchildren learning points I mean some of them may be just very different day but but go back and and use that also in want to reflect on but also use this as a kind of in, in, in you know part part of an application for something you know but what you've actually accomplished what you've done I think that's it I think student nurses at the moment have dealt with far more than potentially any other cohort ever (laughs) I think I think as well we I think in nursing we're quite guilty of seeing a lot of things oh it's normal because everyone around us was doing it too where actually a lot of the I've I kept kind of a brief diary and I I found it when I was moving house last year from being a student and you look back and I've completely forgotten about you know most of these stories um you know working in the olympics in a&e at st thomas's and that was amazing it was some really good opportunities when i was a second year and lots of that you you kind of forget in the the midst of everything else don't you yeah exactly so i think it's it's great to keep a if you can a, a a record and 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 then say you know actually this is this is what we were doing this is what i was capable of then i'm capable of whatever it is moving forward I think finding mentors, you know, working in a receptive environment, um, uh, spotting the the kind of leaders you admire, um, ask ask to go on a, another placement somewhere, you know, or you know, kind of trying to carve out. Let's say you're in a specialism. Oh well, can I go and follow that patient through there, or transplant, or go and work with, see how you kind of transplant nurses work, whatever it happens to be. Just go for it, grab it. I think so now because all nurses are going to finish with a degree. They're at that level. So yeah. yeah, what makes you stand out? What exactly. what makes you different? What have you experienced that 
yeah, means you're going to get the post that you would like over someone exactly. else that has applied. Yeah, indeed. So what are your aims for the future? I, you know, I really don't know, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, I love academia and I'm first and foremost an academic and um, I'm, I, I, I really enjoy teaching and research and, 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 and policy work and obviously trying to do that carry that through some of that through through the work at the college and understanding how a huge organization like the college kind of works and influence and developing influencing skills I think that's probably in communication skills I think that we're always learning there's definitely those are two areas that I still want to refine and hone and you know become become more expert in so I mean if any of you guys have got any other any other suggestions that would be that would be great to hear but I mean that's where I'm at at the moment I think and thank you so much for joining me today it's been so lovely to talk to you and talk through your career so thank you so much thank you Laura for inviting me it's been great